0: Welcome to the Gathering Place Church Weekly Podcast. We hope today's message ignites, equips, and challenges you to live out your Christian faith and to bring healing to a broken world. Well, as we stay in just a, one more moment of if you need healing for your body, healing to your soul, Healing is we're talking of, we know the nations need healing. I love that healing transcends your belief, transcends what you think. As we look to a person, it's fully perfected and fulfilled and encapsulated in the person of Jesus. As you yield and as you surrender, as you look to him, you will find that which your soul is lacking and that's which it needs today. I wanna turn to the scripture, Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 22. And this speaks to a healing that will flow, a peace that will flow through a person. His name is Jesus. And we know Christ. He longs to heal the divide we see, bring down the wall of separation. And Paul presents this king, this savior, this Jesus, that yes, he's available for your personal healing. But aren't you thankful today he can touch the nations, he can touch every part of your life, that he's not just limited to your and I's limited thinking. If you put this up, Dylan, I want us to see the scripture and as we read on how good our God is of healing the alienation. The title of the message today is Who are the people that God has chosen? And out of being chosen, how do we choose him back? What does that look like, a faithful walk with Jesus? Ephesians 2 verse 11 says, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Many of us, we can directly reflect into this, that there was a time in your testimony, a time in your story where you were without hope. You were without Christ. You didn't know what tomorrow would hold and who held your future. And so Paul's bringing all this together that this is what a life without Jesus looks like. And now as we have full communion, full union with Jesus, both Jew and Gentile alike, here's what we enter into. But now in Christ Jesus, that's us today. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So we sing about that blood this morning. What can wash away my sin? And every time I sing that, I think of this text, and I think of this passage of scripture as though the blood of Jesus is it's washing my sin, and washing my condemnation, and washing the guilt, and and, and touching my life, that it's bringing me back close, and bringing me back in, and bringing me back into communion with Jesus. Because sin is missing the mark. But what is the mark that we miss? It's communion and union with Jesus. So today, as we are God's people in God's house, we're given this breath in our lungs to repent, to make things right. You know, I think of a lot of times as we get into this scripture, the church should always be a place, it should almost be a triage center because you are fighting the good fight. And you come in limping and beat up because you are warring against the things of this flesh. And you are pursuing the things of God. This is not a country club. This is not a hall of fame of the holy people. But this is a triage center where we're coming in in need of healing, a touch of grace, a touch of his mercy. And when you see it like that, it gets the ego off, the chip, the pride. And you come into God's house saying, I am dependent on him, and I'm going to intentionally show that I am dependent upon him. Not on my own strength not in my own ways, because by the blood of Jesus, it brings all of humanity, those who take of it, of its cup, of its covenant, and choose it, it brings us into the nearness and closeness of Christ. For he himself is our peace. You need peace today? It has a name. It's Jesus. Who was made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. It was amazing this week, um, on Wednesday, there was... a a large crew that came into our new sanctuary and there was this huge firewall about 20 feet long probably a thousand square feet and men as we've been working on it we would see this wall every week in our demo day and we see this wall and say how in the world are we going to get this thing down it's going to be costly it's dangerous if a lot of volunteers get their hands on it don't know what we're doing but i got a text and a big crew my uncle was jason was able to come in and his team and They busted it out in about six hours, and it was just neat to see the progression that this massive wall that kind of separated and blocked up the building, as it came down, you could then see a vision into what this new sanctuary would look like. And there's power of when you can visibly see separation come down in your family, when you can see separation come down in our nation, when you see separation come down in the church, you begin to get a new vision of something that was old, something that was dirty, something that could never be. And it's as though God in the scripture here is breathing fresh vision of a new people, of a new church, of a new beginning. And it's all in Christ. So this wall of separation is what Christ longs to bring down. Having abolished in his flesh this enmity that is the law of commandments contained in in ordinances so as to create in himself one new man from the two from the jew from the gentile in christ creating a new person both jew and gentile alike thus in creating this making peace and that he might reconcile them both to god in one body and what's it through through the cross thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and he preached peace. You see this, method, this theme of peace that a lot of the times the peace that Christ brings isn't goosebumps and chills and some sunshine in your face. But there is a peace that in the middle of tribulation, in the middle of pain, in the middle of your problems that you can walk in and not fear and not be afraid. This is the kind of peace I'm after. He says, so we preach peace To you who were afar off, the Gentile, and to you who were near, the Jew, bringing them both back in, or in for the first time. For through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. This is the Holy Spirit. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I'm talking to that household today. I'm talking to that family today. I'm talking to that people today. You are the people of God. And when you find out that you are the people of God, it changes everything, and it carries such an intrinsic value that no price can be placed upon it. And you live your entire life, your purpose, your call, understanding how you're chosen, lives through this threshold of I am in the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being this chief cornerstone. So we have a strong foundation. We have apostolic doctrine to guide us. We have the scriptures to teach us. And ultimately, the cornerstone of it all fit right in is Christ himself. In whom this whole building, without him, none of it works, you gotta understand this. Any kind of Christianity that says you don't need Jesus, you just need the spirit this new age spirituality that is sweeping through the church like a wildfire. The Holy Spirit will always reveal the person of Jesus. Anything outside of that, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is a demonic evil spirit. And you need to discern accordingly. So Jesus, he's building, he's fitting us together, and he's growing into a holy temple of the Lord. So thankful that you're his temple. He dwells in you and with you, comes, dwells through you, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God and the Spirit. This is our life. This is our purpose. This is why we come to church. This is why we are the church. This is why we gather, because every day we're becoming more of this dwelling place of God and the Spirit. If you lift your hands today, we're gonna to pray. The sermon's already started. Father, we thank you today for the scriptures. We thank you that you are the cornerstone. We thank you that this spirit, the Holy Spirit, is building a temple that you long to dwell in. Cleanse our temple. Smash the idols. Get rid of the enmity. Get rid of the division. Make us clean today by the blood of Jesus. We are a surrender-yielded people to what you've called, what you've chose us to do. We respond. We partner. We agree with what the purpose of Jesus is in the earth. And we say, here I am, Lord, send me. However dangerous it may look, however I don't feel I have the knowledge or understanding, I wanna be a whosoever will, a willing vessel that is willing to go wherever you send me today. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our peace in the middle of chaos. We love you, Lord. Speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray everybody said amen. amen amen you can be seated pray that that passage of scripture touched you and you came back to church today so that's a good sign we still have a church it's good and what you've got to understand is we are getting into the the thin hairs of of different theologies and ways of believing and ways of thinking. Um, I'm going to reserve a lot of the heavy hitting for um, the podcast environment where I can give you resources and sources and further things for you to study. Um, I pray you got to uh, lean into the podcast this week. And so we just poured a bunch of scripture. Um, we also looked at uh, a lot of, uh, of how the old and the new are fulfilled Uh, together and how the new fulfills the old. So if you have questions in that, please email me And as we get into this very heated topic. And it's anything of a cultural moment like we see with the nation of Israel. Everybody's got questions. Everybody's looking, where did these things come from? How did we get to where we're at? How do we respond as God's people? Who are God's people? What is Israel? What is the church? And through layers and layers and layers of different teachings, are we? Are you, you get really big words like, are you a millennial? Are you pre Are you pre, mid, post, uh, rapture? All of these teachings and things, and where I always go of when I hear something that I don't understand, take me to the source, and then let's work from there. Where did it come from? And what you get with this dispensationalism, or if I can shorten it a little bit because it is quite the tongue tire. Dispies, if you believe in dispensationalism, we love you, but you're a dispy. And um, as a dispy, what we've got to see is where did this teaching originate? Because as we've talked of, it originated in the 1830s off, the small, off a small British isle by, by a man named John Nelson Darby. And the way I look at it is if this teaching is only a couple centuries old, this is not what the church believed for almost 1,800 years. So something changed. And if something changes, and now authoritatively we say that this is what the teaching of the church is, and this is how it's to be believed, then you have to go tell 1,800 years of Christianity from Christ all the way to the apostles to, to that point or to modern day and say you were wrong. You didn't understand it all of your theologians, the church fathers. And to me, that is a grave error that you just throw away history and you take on a new doctrine. The time of John Nelson Darby would also be the time of evolutionary Darwinism, which took the scene as well. So you've got to understand the sources of where a lot of this stuff comes from. And today I have more of a a pastoral encouragement for you today on what it means to be the people of God. But we're going to get into... Really deeper understanding of dispensationalism, Zionism, and what the rapture is. And is there a secret rapture? And what is the second coming? And where did the rapture get involved in all this? Because all of it goes deeply together. They're all connected in a thread rapture, dispensationalism, and Zionism. You've got to understand secular Zionism. You've got to understand biblical Zionism. So we're taking you to school on these things, and you need to discern correctly of how biblically and theologically, a lot of what you see today and believed um, affects modern day understanding of policies and politics of what's even happening. I'll tell you this, even (laughs) the Jerusalem becoming the capital of Israel is a huge win if you are a Zionist, that it comes from a Zionism approach. And so you need to understand that a lot of what you see in the politics guiding Israel today from an American perspective comes from the understanding of Zionism. And this is where it is fueled, this is where it is is taken from. So my goal is to educate you and to get you the facts and then you discern accordingly. And it's important we talk about these things, um, but also I understand that there are better settings to really educate, and to teach. But we'll always use both. And you know me, in this church, nothing is off the table, nothing is too taboo. Truth will be spoken, but it will be done in love. And uh, I love you enough to not just, to give you something that just makes you feel good, but it's not the truth. If you have cancer, wouldn't you want your doctor to tell you, even though it might not be good bedside manner, you have cancer, here's the plan, here's what we're going to do. I will not give you spiritual malpractice. And I take this, as I, as I said last week, I look into the next decade of our church, the next 20, 30, 40 years, of, should the Lord tarry, should God um, still allow me to be your pastor, uh, that I want to set this church up. And this is really what we're doing in this time before kind of we move into this new season, is we're setting some things in line theologically. And that's what last week and this week is in heading into um, this podcast. So uh, as we look at this, uh, there's a quick video I want you to watch, and it's about five minutes, and I recommended this video to you. It's called Marching to Zion, and it gets into a lot of the um, biblical understanding of these topics. But the opening segment is, will kind of take us to where we want to be of, of who were God's chosen people. So Dylan, if you uh, get that video ready, we'll take a few minutes here, uh, we'll watch this, and um, we'll, we'll kind of set the table of who are God's chosen people. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Good? You thankful today? Appreciative today? I know I am. Even just getting ready this morning, um, mom and dad had Daniel and Ella, our two older ones, and um, Bree got Jake ready, got here at practice by 8 30 with Jake I had Luke at home got Luke ready so I love that our Sunday mornings our kids are very close to us and keeps us reality check every Sunday morning I gotta I gotta change of clothes in the office because we might have some spit up or some number two and um, we got to be ready at all times but check out the opening segment here and then uh, we'll teach and preach here
1: Over 4,000 years ago, God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia and said to him, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. Abraham obeyed the Lord and came into the promised land of Canaan, where he lived along with his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob, who was later renamed. Israel. Israel and his twelve sons went down into Egypt because of a famine in the land of Canaan. And there they multiplied into a mighty nation. The Egyptians felt threatened by the powerful nation of Israel living among them. So they enslaved them and made their lives bitter with hard bondage. After 430 years in Egypt, they were led out of bondage by Moses, then crossed the Red Sea and went into Arabia where they received the Law of God at Mount Sinai. The generation of Israelites that left Egypt with Moses were not allowed to enter the Promised Land because of their lack of faith in the Lord. They were forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until a new generation rose up that trusted the Lord and entered the Promised Land with Joshua. For about 400 years, The 12 tribes of Israel were ruled by the judges according to the law of Moses. When they desired to have a king like all the other nations, God appointed Saul to be their king, who reigned over them for 40 years, followed by King David, who reigned 40 years, and David's son Solomon, who reigned 40 years. During the reign of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was at its most glorious, and the first temple was built. But, because Solomon's heart turned away from the Lord in his old age, God told him that ten of the tribes would not be ruled by his son. After the death of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel was divided, and the northern ten tribes were ruled over by a series of wicked kings who were not descended from David and Solomon. The northern kingdom retained the name of Israel and eventually had Samaria as its capital city. The smaller southern kingdom became known as Judah, had Jerusalem as its capital and was reigned over by the descendants of David. Starting in 2 Kings 16, the people of the southern kingdom became known as Jews after the name of the kingdom of Judah. Because of the wickedness of the northern kingdom of Israel, they were overthrown and taken captive by the Assyrians. The Israelites who remained became intermingled with the heathen nations who came in and occupied the land. These people would become known as the Samaritans, and the ten tribes of northern Israel would never be a nation again. The southern kingdom of Judah would eventually be taken captive into Babylon as a punishment for serving other gods, and the temple would be destroyed. After 70 years, the Jews returned to Judah, rebuilt the temple at Jerusalem, and continued to be ruled by kings descended from David. At the time of Christ, the nation of Judah had become known as Judea and was under Roman rule. Jesus Christ and his disciples preached the gospel throughout Judea, seeking after the lost sheep of the house of Israel. After three and a half years of ministry, The Jews rejected Jesus as their Messiah and convinced the Roman governor to crucify him. Three days later, he rose again from the dead and showed himself alive to his disciples before ascending up to the right hand of the Father in heaven. Shortly before Jesus was crucified, he prophesied that as a punishment for rejecting him, Jerusalem would be burned, the temple would be destroyed, and the Jews would be led away captive into all nations. This prophecy was fulfilled in AD 70, when future Roman Emperor Titus conquered Jerusalem. For over 1800 years, the Jews remained scattered throughout all nations. Then, in 1948, the impossible happened. The state of Israel was founded, and the Jews once again possessed the promised land. Many Christians have proclaimed this to be a miracle and a blessing from God. But was this really the blessing of the Lord? Or were darker forces at work? This film has the answer. You can pause it there.
0: So this just really sets up what we'll get into uh, midweek in this of understanding Zionism and what even led to the formation of the national state of Israel. Um, but as we're talking today, we are looking more biblically and theologically. This is not political. Um, and as you see behind me, this is just a caveat, just in case we get any thumb warriors who come into the live stream today, keyboard warriors. Don't you love keyboard warriors? You got to turn off comments sometimes. We are pro-Israel in the respect of, they get to defend themselves. They were attacked. Hostages should be released. These are not Hamas colors. These are Christmas colors. <laughs> and so you're not going to get us on that one today. You, you think it's silly, but you just wait. It'll show up in a comment somewhere. But what we're looking at today, and why I wanted to set that up, is because this is really the topic of, of conversation. And why it's important of understanding Israel is because it, it shows through and through of how you understand Israel is greatly reflected on how you read the Scriptures and how you come to understand the Scriptures and your, your approach toward understanding the Scriptures. Um, so as we kind of knock at the door of the sacred cow of evangelicalism, which is dispensationalism, it will have a domino effect and will pipe into other things and other beliefs of the wild, wild west of being an evangelical. is It's all kind of a cafeteria smorgasbord of theology based off a lot of eisegesis of how I read into the scripture versus good exegesis of what is the contextual hermeneutical understanding of what the scripture is teaching in its day and in its time versus what do I read into it. And in the understanding of exegesis and eisegesis, Many mega large churches, if you're not careful, have heavy eisegesis and you get into a world of confusion and mess and different interpretation of theology of when it's, the scripture is read from an eisegesis lens, not exegesis. You tracking with me? Okay. So as we get into this of who are the people of God, this is an encouragement for you today. And what I want you to understand and see is that God has always had a people. As he had with ancient Israel, so he has a people today, and it is the church. And when you understand that God has a people, it should add that your value comes from that place of being chosen by God. If you would put up, Dylan, First um, Peter 2, 8 through 9, I think it is. got to understand this, that Peter, who again is a Jew, now filled with the Spirit, an apostle of Christ, is helping Jews of his day... As, as well as Gentiles, understand what it means to come into the fullness of the new covenant. But this is also a promise for you and I. It says this, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. This is uh, a lot of the same language of Ephesians 2, that we're a people that are called from darkness into light not just any light, this is marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who would not obtain mercy but now have obtained mercy. So this is the truth that we hold on to today, that we are a people that are blood-bought, that have obtained mercy, and out of being this holy nation, this royal priesthood, it, it comes through this blood of Jesus that we speak of and that we sing of. I always kind of think too of, of somebody new who maybe doesn't know anything of Christianity and they walk into the church and they hear people singing about blood and it's like what in the world are we talking about but us as a people who understand this it, it's everything it's what we've banked our lives on that as C.S. Lewis said Jesus is either a lord a liar or a lunatic and we know him as we've come to find him, that he is Lord, he is not a liar, and he is not a lunatic about the claims of what he claims to be as the Messiah. So as we get into the scripture, as we even, and I'm going to end, uh, end our time as we take communion today, as we meditate, and as we just look and put our heads around this heavenly Jerusalem that Jesus is bringing with him in Revelation 21 that all of John kind of brings the apocalyptic literature together and says Jesus is bringing a new Jerusalem. And as we look to this new Jerusalem, it's not to be that we look for a geographical place on a map, but we look to a person, and his name is Jesus, who's bringing that kingdom. And you've got to understand, too, that the difference between spiritual Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, and the difference between physical and earthly Jerusalem. And the Uh, in the flames of dispensationalism, it is looking for Jesus to return and bring a physical rule and reign. And this has really been the thought of, of so many from the days of Jesus. As you open your Bibles and you read Acts 1, verse 6, you would see that even as Jesus is about to ascend, this is a huge moment in the ministry and life of Jesus, even as he's about to ascend in his resurrected body, that There are people asking the question, as he is going airborne, they're asking him, when are you going to restore? Hey, before you go, when are you going to restore this kingdom back to Israel? So, this is what even in their day and time they were looking for. This was, as we talked of last week, the, the folly of Judas Iscariot, that he was looking for Jesus to bring a physical, political movement into the earth. But we know that the kingdom of God is not of flesh and of blood. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. Dylan, if you put this up, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 53. So at the end of the age, this is what will happen to all humanity. This is the second coming of what it will look like. Paul says this. He says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a nature of of getting your flesh and blood on it. It is spiritual. It says nor does corrupt inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. So you've got to understand in all of the language and the understanding of the second coming, there is mystery at play. And you can't systematically dissect everything which dispensationalists seeks to do, cut it in pieces, make it very confusing, put things into the scripture, try to get you to see this thousand-year reign, the seven-year tribulation, and we'll get into all of that in the podcast but what you need to see today, Paul says, Behold, I tell you this mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So in the second coming, it's this moment, it's this twinkling of an eye when Jesus comes. He calls all of humanity forth. That's still here. And you're put on, you take what is corruptible, our flesh, and it becomes incorruptible. Paul will get into to teach this as a resurrected body. And as we get this resurrected body, we're then brought into the judgment seat and we're judged. And your portion is either the kingdom of God with Christ or hell and separation from Christ. So it's not that confusing when you take the scripture and you look at it here. And so there's this change, this, in this moment, this twinkling of an eye. And at the last trumpet for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised For this corruptible must put on incorruptible, and this mortal must put on immortality. So we'll get into the thick of that, but understand you've got to see and look to this new Jerusalem that we're going to see today. And it's going to be, I pray, a paradigm shift. As we said last week, that this always having your feelers out is the income. We get excited when Israel starts getting attacked dispensationalists say, because that means World War III is coming, and we're going to be raptured out of here, and Israel and the Jews are going to have to deal with all the mess that's there, and then in seven years, God's going to bring this thousand-year reign, and then we'll roll in rain And it just gets so confusing and so out there. Anybody confused when you just get into all this stuff? I don't get it. And that's been a lot of, as I hear and talk with people, and even at times and points in my life, is Where did this come from? How do we deal with it? How do we make sense of it? And that's my point of trying to bring clarity through this. Understand, too, this is not replacement theology. This is covenant fulfillment theology. And what you'll get is anytime you speak against dispensationalism, you will be villainized and you will be held as a heretic in the eyes of of thick and through dispensationalism as as being anti-Semitic. This is not an anti-Semitic message. This is not an anti-Jew message. Please understand that. And so you've got to understand that this is the covenant. This is what Jesus talked about. You saw even in the video there that um, Jesus even said that the temple would be destroyed. And if Jesus were to tell a Jew your temple, your house of worship would be destroyed, that would be the most anti-Semitic thing anyone could ever say. And those were the words of Jesus. So are you tracking with me? You're seeing this uh, linear approach, this understanding, this pattern of when you take the words of Jesus and you don't put them through the eyes of dispensationalism, that God's in heaven pulling levers, dealing in one covenant with Israel and dealing with another in the church. It'll begin to make clear sense and it can almost get crystal clear if you let it. So let's look at this as we look at God's chosen people, that we are his people. And I'm going to be uh, brief, but this is where we left in the video. Genesis 12:1 through 3. This is the promise to Abraham. Everything up to verse 12 is kind of a universal God getting things right for all of humanity. But then as we get into verse 12, we then see where God then chooses a people. And from him choosing a people, he has always had a people from this point to present day of where we're at today. This was the promise, he said to Abram. Get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to that uh, a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse the, him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We understand this in covenant fulfillment theology, is that... It's not a physical land that blesses the world. It is a person, Israel. His name is Jesus, and through Jesus, he blesses the, the nations. He blesses your family. He blesses your life. And so as you, you see this, we get into Romans 9, verse 4 through 5. We see kind of the story. We see the pattern here of how God has always worked with his people. Romans, this is Paul talking, New Testament. Romans 9, 4 says, Who are the Israelites to whom pertain Israel? The adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is overall the eternally blessed of God. Amen. So, this is where we see that it, it culminates in this person of Christ, of how God uses and chooses the people of God. When you get into the Old Testament and you see, of how God's people would be good for a season and then they would rebel and fall away. This is just kind of the pattern. There's good Israel and bad Israel, right? In and out. And God dealing with them accordingly. But we see in God's nature that he is loving, kind, and gracious in how he deals with, with Israel. And the same is with how he deals with us today. He is merciful, he is loving, kind, and gracious. And aren't you thankful that in your sin, when you're in your waller, when you're in your points of depression, that God still deals graciously with you. This is your time, this is your season, this is the hour of mercy, and we're to respond to that mercy each and every day. So when you think that God has chosen a people, we then have to see that in this it should knock you on your back of how much God wants you and desires you and chooses you. That's just one half of it because in the glory of God choosing you, then you have to take it and say, I now have to respond to it and choose God. See, there's a lot of Christians and if you wanna see the folly in the American Western church is there's a bunch of Christians walking around saying, I'm chosen of God. God's got me. He's for me. He's not against me. But then you ask them, well, where in your life are you choosing him? Are you following him? Are you walking with him? You look and even, this again shows how good and gracious God is, that as you see all of Israel in the Old Covenant and even in the church in the New Testament, I, if I was God, I would not have chosen us because we constantly run from him or we constantly disobey him or we rebel against him. But at the end of the day, in God's choosing of us, it should uh, elicit a response, it should provoke a response to say, I am head over heels in love with God, and I will, I will position and move my life and walk toward him in every and any situation, even if I don't fully get it or understand it. Yes. So when coming to the revelation and the understanding and the knowledge that God has chosen us, even before we've chosen him, John 3.16 Let's go, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So Jesus gave before any thought or any idea that you would ever choose him back. That's what reckless love really is. That I'm going to choose you again and again and again and again when you don't choose me or you backhand me or you walk away from me. This is why we should run to him. We should not hide from him like our first parents, Adam and Eve, did in the garden. When they sinned, they missed their appointed time of fellowship. Adam, where are you? He ran from God in his sin, and God comes after him. And from ever since then, God has come after us when we disobey or when we don't choose him. But he also gives us free will. If you, if you allow your conscience to be seared, and this is where you get with maybe family members or people that you know, is they've walked away from God, they've deconstructed whatever the term you want to throw at it is, and now. Time and time again, they've stopped responding to God's grace, his love, and his mercy. So now they're seared, and now they blame everything on God. When he's saying, they're saying, I'm trying to get to you. I'm choosing you. I'm coming after you. I'm running after you. I want you. I love you. This is how good our God is. Leviticus 11.45 says this, For I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You, therefore, be holy, for I am holy." We see this even in the New Testament. Peter pulls from this of the people of God. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, that the people of God have got to be separated, and they are holy people. The people of God are separated, and they are holy people. 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16 echoes this, but he who was called you is holy, and you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Now, don't put your religious lens on this. Don't put your, I've got to throw sackcloth on and just rock and and pray all day. That's not what holiness is. Holiness is coming into a place of maturity in the fullness of the faith. That you are allowing Christ to mature you. That you are getting off the milk and you are getting to the meat. You see, we, we in the West, because of our comfort, because of how we're served, because how blessed we are, It can be so easy to just say, um, I expect somebody else to feed me all the time. I expect something or someone else to care for me. When as you grow in sanctification and in your salvation, in that you are growing in maturity and growing in maturity is growing in holiness. You're becoming more set apart. The things of this world um, don't move you like they used to. The things of this world, that's not where your attractions and your affections are put and are first and foremost. Your priorities have changed. Holiness is not heavy. Holiness is not this just legalism that God wants to put on you, but it is actually the very thing that sets you free and it keeps you free. It's a walk. And as you look in the Old Testament, it's all a story of teaching God's people who were bought taken from bondage in Egypt, taken from slavery, and now taught and retaught of how to walk with God again. That's why when you come into the church or you have family that comes into the church or comes into uh, saving faith, becomes a follower of Christ, is you have to unlearn a whole bunch of things before you learn the right things. And we just expect because somebody confessed once that they're just going to get it all. But what you have to do, as much as it took you to get in those unhealthy, unbiblical patterns and decisions and choices, now there has to be a discipleship method and element that gets you cleaned up. And you've got to allow Christ to clean you. And this isn't in 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 any situation. Just because you've been following him for some time doesn't mean you are exempt from needing to smash some idols in your life. Even small, subtle, little idols. Those are, where, those are the ones that love to hide deep within you. And they're attached to your cravings, your appetites, your comforts. You've normalized them. Those are the very things and places Jesus wants to touch. So we've got to be holy. Isaiah 8, 11 through 13 says, um, and this is a warning For the Lord God spoke thus to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their hearts, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hollow, let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And when some of you see this, oh, I should dread God or I should just, I should huddle in a corner and be afraid of God. No, you should have this reverential honor of God in all places of your life. If you are struggling in your walk with holiness, it's most likely because of this. God has become too familiar to you. You don't fear him anymore. There's nothing sacred. There's nothing that is separated in your life. It's just Jesus is my BLT. He blesses, loves me, and takes care of me, right? Let's not order that one. But there should be a holy, reverential fear of where God is first and foremost, that everything I do is to please him, not serve my flesh, not serve myself. And again, in this, when you even get into the scripture, where uh, it says that the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. A literalist will say, pick up your gun, pick up your sword, let's go. What you've got to understand in the earliest understandings, the patristic writings, the fathers, the teachings from Christ and the apostles is you're to wage war on the interior part of your life. The cravings, the appetites, that which is keeping you bound, that's what which is keeping you undiscerning and in disillusion is the, the fight isn't out there it is in here, and if you're gonna take hold of the kingdom of God, again, it's not some geopolitical type of land. If you're gonna take hold of the kingdom of God, it is in here, and this is where the fight has to be. If you wanna have power and authority and be who all God has called you to be, take the fight in here and watch what God will begin to do. Watch the deliverance that happens. God will raise up a deliverer, his name is Jesus, and he will save you from yourself. He will save you from your sin. And he'll fill you with that life. So we've got to be holy. And 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says this, but now God has set the members, each one of them in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one members, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members. So God uses a community. This doesn't deal with you personally, but he uses a people at Ecclesia, a church. Indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And I love, always love this with Paul. and the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You know, in the wild, wild west of Protestantism, it's, you've got to break out of the thinking of that. This old song said, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Me and it's just always just this me and Jesus. It's all private, has nothing to do with anybody else. Private, personal, personal, private, private, personal. And you've got to understand that God works in and through the church. Now, there is private and personal. I'm not saying that. But you've got to not just be so one-tracked minded that it's what I feel with my Bible and I have the Holy Spirit and you can't tell me how to live or you can't tell me what to do or that obedience thing, that, that holiness thing, that's just rules and regulations. You can't put that on me. You don't got to do all that. We'll get to that in a second. So we need a body of believers. And if you've tried to do it on your own, you'll see how quickly you will fail. We need each other. And this is how God set things up. 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six it says, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So you have your individuality, but there is a place together, and it's not just in the realm of just your giftings or your personality, but in what God is doing, we're to connect with that and to trust him in that. It's not this indiv- indiv- being this individual juggernaut and saying, get out of my way, let my gifting shine. And there's been so long in the church that it just becomes all about a gifting, it becomes about a talent, not about fruit and how I can serve you, how I can care for you, how we can be a family versus how we can be the next big thing, how we can be an American idol or whatever you want to call it, the voice, or whatever it is. This is not the way of Christ and being members in this body. So holiness number two is this. You've got to understand it comes through obedience, that there is power in your obedience. And to understand obedience, you've got to understand disobedience. When you're disobedient, you dis God. And how God works, and when we choose him knowing we are chosen, the vehicle is through obedience, being obedient to his word being obedient to what he says. So God initiates this, but then God also gives us free will. And you've got to understand if, just like with a toddler, one of my kids, one of my two toddlers, if I were to put a piece of broccoli and a piece of candy in front of them, by innate nature, they will crawl, if not try to get up and run toward that piece of candy. They're not going to choose the broccoli. So we've got to understand that in shedding this sin nature, in walking in the new nature that Jesus gives us in Christ, is you've got to build up a resistance, again, going for that which is easy, that which is just uh, comfortable, that's which just seems like it it will taste good in the moment. But you've got to build up a stamina and a strength to say, I'm going to do the hard thing today. I'm gonna to choose to be obedient even when my flesh is screaming. That's usually the most powerful time when you can exercise is when your flesh is screaming to do the opposite and you choose to do the right thing, the hard thing, the obedient thing and honor God in that. You see, we see this through God's people in the Old Testament. What you neglect in obedience, when you walk in disobedience, you forfeit things in your life. I Nobody likes to say this but when you, when you stay disobedient, you can forfeit things which God has for you. You can forfeit the family that God has for you. You can forfeit the blessings that God has for you. Because in the covenant, it is conditional. You have to choose it. You have to be obedient to it. Again, we don't walk around just screaming, I'm chosen, I'm chosen, I'm chosen. But we never choose him or choose to come off the milk and into the meat. So you've got to think deeper along these lines and not have this easy, greasy grace approach. Easy believism. Deuteronomy 10.15 says, The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. Again, this is how good your God is. He chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. He put favor on his people. He gave his people a land. And just as you see the favor of ancient Israel, of the Hebrew people, you'll see that God's favor is upon his church. How can the church, of all the mess of the church, the capital C church, of all the denominations of churches, you would think with the mess that the church has gone in through 2,000 years, we would cease to exist. All the disunity, all the wars, all of this. But somehow, some way, God still has his hand on his church. That should be a sign right there. Colossians 3.12 says this, therefore, as God's chosen people. So as we're God's chosen people, be holy, dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness and patience. So it says that we are the elect or we are God's chosen people. We're holy and beloved. You got to put on tender mercies So as you're God's people, this is what your walk should begin to look like and should be consistent in. Be tender, walk in kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. All the things that are kind of opposite of what your flesh just wants at face value. And this is, again, the war of the inside of your interior life. Christianity is not some exterior life. It is your interior life, and it's warring against vices and taking the virtues of the gospel. So, again, we see in 1 Corinthians 1:26. look at this. Brothers and sisters, again, I love how Paul uses familial language. This is how kind even Paul is, as hard-nosed as he can be. Think of what you were when you were called. Again, not many of you were wise by human standards. This should excite some of us. This excites me today. By human standards, many of us would fail the test we would fail the degree, we would fail the education, we would fail the business, we would fail at at what we know God has called us to. So not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were influential. Isn't this interesting? There was no celebrity pastors in the early days that drove the church forward. This was not the mandate and the method that God drove his church forward, was through celebrities. It was through servants. And we see this whole celebrity culture crumbling in evangelicalism right before your eyes as it needs to be checked. And um, I I just find this interesting. It wasn't through wise by human standards. It wasn't those who were influential. And it was not many were of noble birth. It wasn't just solely of Abrahamic DNA here. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Don't you love your God? That he's not about you boast in this, you boast in that, look at my talent, look at how well I can perform. He's not after a performance. He is after a a true heart of worship for those eyes truly to be open. You know, and I wanna close with this. And when I was in an internship in East Texas, there was a church of about 400 pe- people I was a part of. And the guy who wrote that song, Paul Baloch, was the worship leader there, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. And he had all the stages and the experiences and, um, and he kind of, and this time in his life, stepped away from all that and just served very quietly in a local church and just served and, and used his gift as ever God would, would lead. And that just spoke so much to me of someone who's taken all the stages, wrote all the big songs, won all the big awards, still was able to walk in a servant's heart. And aren't the best people that you respect is they can take the stage, but they can also change the diaper. They can also move the chairs. They can clean the floors. Sometimes the the people who worship the most, I I saw this once, and it was a, a picture of a janitor just cleaning in the church after hours. And it just simply said, this is worship. And so many times we put all the, 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 the focus here on the mouthpiece when the real worship and the real heroes are Eileen and Lanita downstairs serving our babies while I preach over time every week. They're the heroes. And why can't we celebrate them and thank them? And I honestly believe if we can get the light off of the man of God, the pastor, because you gotta understand, I'm as broken just as anybody. But what I understand is I serve a God, like that song they put together today, who is a healer. And just as much as you need your healing, I need my healing. And the minute I stop going into the well of the healing hand of Christ is the minute I dry up, is the minute I make myself susceptible. We've all gotta run after him and get to his feet. So we're not special, we're not wise. But he always turns things up on its head. And he says, you think this is how you're gonna grow, this is how you're gonna have something or be something, watch and how I'm gonna do the opposite here. I leave you with a story. I was reading it the other day, 1 Kings 13, and it talks about this man of God and was given specific orders. You can go and read it and that he was to go and to deliver a message to a wicked king. And as he delivered this message to the wicked king, he was told that he's to go, he's to take no reward, he's to take no water, and he's to go back a different way that he came. So he follows orders and he's obedient to what the prophet told him to do. And as he delivered the message to this wicked king, it's kind of a cool miracle, the king sticks his hand out and says... How dare you! And then, as his hand stuck out, God touched that moment, and it says that that man's hand withered right there. And could you imagine just being a kind of a servant in that place and just seeing that man's hand wither because he stood against what God was saying? I honestly believe that these are the methods that we're going to begin to see in the church again, where God shows up and withers a wicked man's hand to get their attention, not because of a preacher and a nice pair of sneakers. Those days are over. What you got to see today and what is even the mystery of this story that he delivers the message, the king is humbled very quickly and said, what can I give you? What reward can I give you? Because your God is real. And so as he sees the power of God, he then says, I was told I take no reward and I'm to go back the way that I came. And so he heads back on his journey and and word from the camp that he's heading back to catches this and they send another prophet and this prophet lies to him. And see, this is where you got to understand as you begin to fine tune your obedient walk, sometimes the vehicle to get you in disobedience can look like a prophet, can look like another man of God, can look like something good and your guard is down. So now you take hold of it because you can digest it or You know, they're from my team or from my camp. So this other man comes and he lies to him and says, hey, I'm going to take you aside and I'm going to feed you and, and, and care for you right now. And so the man of God is taken off guard, believes what's being said, not knowing he's being lied to, takes the food, takes the water. And it says that as he finished his meal, the word of God came to him and said, that was your destruction. And he gets back up, he begins walking back on the path and a lion comes, takes his body, devours it. And it's just this kind of very unhappy ending. But what we see and what I just began as I was reading it, I I just began seeing. man, you gotta be obedient all the way through. And you gotta be discerning all the way through. And so we never arrive at a perfect place of obedience. But in Christ, we can discern and we can know that we don't want to break instruction, we don't want to break orders, we don't want to break obedience. And again, God will keep going around the mountain with you. That's how good he is. But I don't want to keep going around the mountain. Is anybody else here today, you, you want to stop going around the mountain? Well, let's be obedient because we're his people. So you could read 1 Kings 14, 15, it's wicked king after wicked king. You see this pattern of how Israel rebels and how they stay disobedient and God raises up a prophet to confront them. Isaiah 1, 18 through 19, this is the good news we have today. It says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall now be made white as snow. Though they were red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Hear this. If you are Willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. If you're tired of being on the enemy's menu, of having appetites and cravings that take you into sin, I'm telling you, if you will check your obedience and you will reflect and say, where am I neglecting? Where, because of my neglect, I am forfeiting the goodness of the land. God wants to get you to the goodness of the land, but the condition is, will you be willing I believe we all are willing, but it's being willing and obedient. As we prepare our hearts to take communion, you can go ahead and stand with me and prepare the elements. You gotta understand that Jesus knows every pain, knows every struggle, knows the path it takes to be willing and obedient. It was said of Jesus in Hebrews 5.8 that though he was a son, yet he learned to obedience by the things which he suffered. If you want to channel your suffering, if you want to channel your pain, not try to just pray it off of you all the time. See, God uses suffering, and this has been a long lost art in the modern day church. And this is a, needs probably to be a series to get into all the the little hairs of it all. But Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And what I'm telling you today is your God is good, just as I think of times in my life. And I honor my mom and dad, Jody and Jody, who are here helping, serving, loving, working behind the scenes. And they taught me through their willingness and obedience the God that Jody and Jody, the mom and dad served, that's the God I wanted to serve because they chose to do hard thing after hard thing and perfectly, but their heart was still to always serve God, to keep his house first. And that sent a message to me in my subconscious and in my conscious that I see that because of their willingness and obedience, they eat of the good of the land. There's peace in their life. They have truth they love and serve and, and bless those around him. I saw how they were generous to other people growing up and would never say anything. And, um, and I was just reflecting through this message is, the reason I want to serve Jesus is because the Jesus that my parents served, that they showed me the gospel before any pastor did, before any church did. And this is an encouragement to us as parents, and I take this into my own family is I am being the first witness my own children will ever see. How they see mom and dad love each other. How dad stands for truth. Is dad a coward? Is dad just off in pursuing pleasure? Is dad just about his own stuff and his own things and all the things that we gotta constantly be in reflection of what is robbing your willingness and your obedience. We're gonna meditate on the New Jerusalem, and we're going to take communion and pray. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. You can close your eyes and just receive, or you can watch and read the text with me. It says this. This is John and his revelation of this Jerusalem, of this kingdom that Jesus will bring. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, And also there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down of the heaven, down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and be their God. And in this New Jerusalem, hear this this is the truth you have. If you are suffering today, if you need healing today, you need to turn back to Jesus today, there will be a day. And it's almost as though when the presence of God touches you, it's not in fullness, but it's in part. It's as though a piece hits you and your tears are wiped away. But in fullness, it says, And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he, verse 5, who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, Write for these words that are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I, Jesus, am the Alpha and the Omega the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirst. Are you thirsting today? This is the cup that you need to drink of, cup of Christ. He gives freely. He who overcomes, this is important. This is why we repent. This is why we stand in the faith. This is why we don't bow down. This is why we don't give up because we are a people who has to overcome. He who overcomes, here's the promise, here's the condition. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. And I want you to look at verse 8 here, and it ends here. And the first thing it hits, I think we missed this, and it says, But the cowardly. And it goes into all sins that we would know and be aware of, the big ones but I think we go over really quickly, but the cowardly. And today, if you're gonna be a true follower of Jesus, you've gotta understand it does not come through a spirit of cowardice. You can't be a coward, you can't back down. And I think a lot of us, when we see the, the first bit of resistance, rejection, or hatred for being a Christian, we fold. And we got to understand, it's like when you get on an airplane, just because your ears start popping or there's turbulence on the plane doesn't mean the plane is going down. It's just a part of the process. And what what you need to know today, if you call on the name of Christ and you publicly confess your faith, you walk in the true understanding of Scripture, the church from the beginning to present day will be rejected, will be hated, will be called everything in the books, and you can't fall to it. And you can't sanitize it all the time because we're not called to be cowards. Am I talking to a bold people today? Am I talking to a righteous people today? This is the truth we have. We can't back down. We've got to overcome. And as your pastor, this is why we touch these subjects is because I want you to overcome and you have what it takes to overcome in Christ. We hold the body we break the body and we take the body in Jesus' name. Jesus, we thank you for this covenant. All those hurting and pain and tears, we thank you as we look to this new Jerusalem, as we look to Jesus, that in his presence is the fullness of everything we have need of. Father, we just... Release and repent of our sin, of our disobedience. Would you just whisper that? Say, I repent of my disobedience. I repent of where I've not walked in holiness. I've not walked in purity. Cleanse my heart. Touch the subtle idols. I am your people. You have chosen a people and I have the joy in Christ to be that people. Now help me walk in it. Help me get off the milk into the meat of your word. Help me sustain and be an overcomer to inherit all things that you have for me. Jesus, we love you. You've graced us. You've given us mercy. We take your cup of this covenant, this beautiful, marvelous, glorious covenant in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment as we invite our usher and as as we prepare to give today a few announcements for you. Pray you were blessed and again, please tune in to the podcast as we get into all the the heavy lifting. Um, But know today that God is for you and he has a kingdom that knows no end, that he's coming again in glory is the earliest creed in Christianity. It's known as the Nicene Creed. And it says that he will come again in glory. He will judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will know no end. It's beautiful. When you understand creedal theology, it keeps you in the lines of seeing the scripture and the intent of the way they're to be seen. So as we give today, um, and as we just position our hearts it's a beautiful thing, as we see in the scripture. It even says in Malachi 3.9, he tells his people, again, Israel, he tells Israel, you are cursed with a curse. And why is this in Malachi 3.9? Because you robbed me. Because you, you, you took what belonged to me. So you even see God in saying that, Then, as we come into the New Testament, as we come into the New Covenant, people say, oh, that, all that's off of me. Well, in Christ, understanding that more is actually required of us under grace. People think it's under law, that it, that's just all heavy and, and this, that, and the other, that all the, the Ten Commandments have gone away. There can be crazy, erroneous thinking of this. But even under grace, it's not just what I do with my hand. It's now the motive and the intent of my heart. And that's what has to be checked. That's what is judged. That you can be happy and clappy and giving and serving and have a smile on your face, but there'll be wickedness that you're harboring on the inside. And that's why when you give and when we take communion together, Paul even says, do so in a worthy manner. If you've sinned against a brother, leave the temple and go and make it right. That's how serious it is. And I think if we would put again, we just take God so common, we take giving as so common, and communion is so common, when these are the mysteries and the elements God gives us for our cleansing, for our sanctification, to make the intangible of the new covenant tangible in our lives. And this is what incarnational theology is, and this is what we're gonna get into of understanding Christmas, that Jesus was the incarnate Son of God, that God be, took on a body in Jesus Jesus came into the world through the Virgin Mary and he healed the world. He touched the world. we, We know the gospel story. So you've got to understand these things and what they play and what they mean. And I pray through this Christmas season that you come to a new and heightened and beautiful revelation of who Jesus is and that you reorient and you focus in on the person of Christ and what the Christmas message means let's pray. Father, we thank you for the joy it is to give today. We thank you, Lord, that you're the one who can break the curse off of our life. You're the one who can make us new. You've chosen us. You've given us this blessing, but we have to choose it back. We get what we choose, and today we choose. We are willing and obedient, and we trust you in the tithe. We trust you in our giving and our offerings. It is a joy to give to your kingdom, to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We pray it encouraged, uplifted, and challenged you to become more like Christ. We would love to hear from you. You can email your prayer request to prayer at gpcky.com. Loving our podcast? Take a moment and like and subscribe on our YouTube channel to stay up to date with all of our new content. Thanks for listening.